Yeah, you can open up to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's good to have you here. Um, going through the Word of God, going through the Scriptures, and letting God's Word change us and shape us as His people. And, uh, and so as we do that, we're just uh, in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. And if you will uh, stand with me, we'll read the text for this morning. And we'll start in verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So, Lord, as we come to this passage that, oh, it, it seems so distant and maybe irrelevant uh, at first read, but, um, Lord, as I have found in my studying, this text is a must read, it is a must study, it is a must apply. And so, Lord, we pray you would bring Holy Spirit application into our lives as we bow our hearts and minds to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, four chapters to this book. This book that is the finer, final letter of Paul the Apostle. It's the final epistle. It's the last uh, will and testament, if you will, of an apostle to his disciple. It really marks the end of the apostolic age in a sense. You know, of course, we'll have John the Revelator, uh, but we really have just this awareness that Paul knows his time is coming to an end, uh, that he will uh, no longer be around to 
protect the gospel and preach the gospel. So he's, as our next chapter is going to show right away in 2-2, he's got to train up these faithful men who are going to train up faithful men and so on and so forth uh, all the way to here we are today. All right, that's kind of an exciting thing that that bloodline has continued even to Prineville, Oregon. And so with that final will and testament of Paul to Timothy, he knows his time is coming and that it's short. Uh, and in chapter 1, we kind of see this theme of this charge to guard the gospel. A charge to guard the gospel and to not be ashamed of the gospel. In chapter 2, there's this charge to suffer for the gospel. So not only be unashamed and not only uh, guard it, but be ready to suffer for it. In chapter 3, there's a charge to continue in the gospel. And in chapter 4, to proclaim the gospel. And so last week, we looked a bit at the introduction to this letter. Uh, we see just this wonderful relationship and history between Paul and his son in the faith, Timothy. And he, you know, Paul remembers when Timothy was just a young, young man and, and his family heritage of Grandma Lois, 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 however you want to emphasize that, uh, and Mother Eunice, and how they trained him up in the gospel, and Paul was just convinced that that genuine faith was put in him, and so he reminded him in verse 6 to stir up the gift of God that had been given to him through the laying on of hands. And man, if you were here last week, what a special week that was. I mean, I've just been just riding last week, all week, just wonderful rejoicing and thinking of so many of you who came up front and received prayer, just had the elders and deacon lay hands on you and pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life. And, and I hope that this week you've just been um, stirring that up and, and meditating upon that and seeking the Lord as to what gift or gifts he gave you last week. Uh, it was a sweet, sweet time. And if you weren't here, listen to that teaching and just spend time at the end of the teaching just before the Lord, just asking for him to give you gifts so that you can be a part of his plan in this church and in this world. Oh, it was such a rich time, such a sweet time together. But that being said, as, as Timothy is to not neglect the gift that was given to him, he's to stir up the spiritual gifts and the ministry that had been given to him. Uh, it goes into this next verse, which will be fresh ground for us today in verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so the gifts that had been given to Timothy, he was to stir them up. We don't know exactly what that was. Some sort of gifting to be a pastor, to be a leader. Uh, in chapter 4, he's going to be told to uh, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So perhaps it was, man, don't neglect the ministry of being an evangelist, a preacher of the gospel. Uh, you know, Who knows exactly? Maybe he was neglecting his prayer language and not speaking in tongues, you know, as much as he should, you know, but whatever it was, stir up the gift. It was a great word for us to stir up the gift. And, and we remember last week that is translated rekindle the fire or fan the flame. 
that you once had. And so we just were praying, Lord, just light the fire again, fan the flame. If it's just a little ember, just make it hot again, cause it to burst and to combust and, and you know, bring heat again in our lives, bring power again from that combustion. And when that combustion happens, when that fire is kindled, and this even, even as we go on today, maybe you come into this place and that's a foreign thing for you. Rekindle the fire, fan the flame, stir up the gift. Like this is like, you're talking Greek, man. Awesome. That's good. Recognize that. And even right now, just pray, Lord, whatever he's talking about. I don't even know if there's a fire or a spark or an... I'm not seeing nothing. <laughs> I'm not smelling smoke except for what's in this air around here. But just right now, just ask, just Lord... Light a fire in me. Light me on. We sang it today. What was, what was the exact lyric? Light the fire. Fire fall down. Again, I was like, there's people here. I have no idea what we're singing. Burn us up. And you're just like, what is what are these? I knew church. I thought church was weird. And then I came here today and they started singing about fire falling down. It was like, I'm, I'm, we're done here. We, we're done. We're praying about the Holy Spirit, the person of God coming upon us as he does in the Bible and just brings power and life and just um, uh, combustion to our hearts and to our souls, bringing giftings and, and vigor and courage and bravery for him. For our God is a consuming fire. You know, we don't want to be dead. We want to be alive. And so that's what we're singing about. We're singing about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The baptism with fire and bravery, it's, you know, bear with the analogy. But if you're just dead and smoldering, oh, I love the promise in the scriptures that a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not quench. Are you a bruised reed, you know, it's just like break that off, get that. No, he'll put a little bandage around it. We'll just, we're going to mend that and heal that. He's not the lick the finger and we're done with that. No, he fans it into flame again. And even now, even now, as I just say, maybe just right now you would pray, all right, Lord, first time ever, light the fire. Light the fire in my heart. See what he'll do. And when he does, and if you came up last week and you prayed, or you're praying right now, he wants you to know that in those moments when he's the giver of gifts to you, the gift of life, the gift of power, the gift of gifts, he's a gift giver. Here's what he doesn't give. God has not given us a spirit of fear. There's the negative. So think about your life right now and what you fear. I got stuff. <laughs> And when I tremble and I eat anxious bread at night, you know, and I'm biting my fingernails off and ah, that's not the Lord. <laughs> the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. And I know this is probably a little much for you, but I looked up in my, uh, my language study on my computer and it does this cool little circle where it tells you all the time like the word fear is used in the Bible. And so you got this Greek word and this section is sometimes the way it's used. And here's another way. It's like fear or 
fear and be afraid. And they're just variations of that word over here where there's orange and some red. It's just a different, you know, sometimes fear is used kind of in a good way, like respect and speaks of worship. That's not what it's talking about here. Here's this little tiny red sliver. I know that it's, it's just a bit much for you. See the little red sliver? That's the one time in the Bible where it's used as cowardice. That little red sliver. For God has not given us the gift of cowardice. So when it's time to open up your mouth about the gospel, and we read the context here, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings. All that is wrapped up in cowardice and in all the gift givings of God. And we went through a whole list last week of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not one time is the gift Hey, what's your spiritual gift? I'm a total coward. <laughs> Just a chicken. Just, you know, you know, like cowardly lion. Nope, not from the Lord, right? What is it? The purple heart that the Wizard of Oz gives the cowardly lion? It's like, you know, is that what it is? Or a ribbon or what? I've obviously haven't seen the, nobody else knows either. We're going to move along. What is it? But what is the, a metal? I mean, there's something, though. A metal. See, I knew. Yeah. Good job, Marcy. He, he, he courage, you know. He puts the metal on us. All right? He gives us courage, not cowardice. And so Paul is, he's really obliged in his last will and testament to make sure his predecessor his protege not only keeps stirring up the gifts of the spirit and the ministry and evangelism that is in his life, but he needs to know that he doesn't need to be a coward in exercising those gifts. Did you come to prayer at the Pulse that night? I was gone. I was, we went on a fishing trip. I was gone. But I know that you guys went to prayer about the gifts. And when it's time to finally, like, I feel like the Lord has given me a vision to share. I feel like the Lord's giving me a word of prophecy to share. I feel like the Lord is giving me something, you know, maybe it is time to speak out in tongues and maybe it is time to speak in interpretation. It's like, I can't do it, I'm too scared. And when it's time to use the gifts, the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear. It's a good reminder for us. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 15, in the great eight, Romans 8 is called. We memorized it as a youth group when I was a youth pastor. The great eight said when your Bible falls on the floor and flips open, it should land on Romans chapter eight. And in the great eight, it says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. When you're with your dad, you don't need to be afraid. You guys remember that. You got Wyatt over there. He's like, yeah, I don't need to be afraid. I'm with my dad. But you remember when he was a little boy, right? All those videos we've been watching of you by the dishwasher. You were a scared little kid. All right? And Titus right now. Titus is this little three-year-old. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to share a little bit about Titus today, I think, if I get this far. But, oh, Titus, he doesn't like the dark right now. And I'm just telling him, hey, the Lord created the dark. 
He created that time for us. Why? So we can sleep? Yeah, you're getting it, you know. But we had to leave Klemma Falls this morning at 5 a.m. We're driving up here. It's dark, and it's, we had a trailer behind us, and, you know, it's the loudness of the road. And, of course, I'm hitting those bumps in the middle. You know, he's like, Dad, I'm, I'm so, so scared. I'm so, so scared. I'm like, son, you don't need to be scared. I'm with you. I'm with you, and I know how to be safe. You're safe. We're going to be safe. I'm with you. You don't need to be afraid. And you know what? The same is true for us. When Paul was in Corinth in the book of Acts, chapter oh, 16 or something like that, something like that, it's either 1 through 28, so something like that. When Paul's in Corinth, word on the street is there's some cronies out there that are going to kick his rear end. They're going to beat him up. And he's trembling. He's afraid. And the Lord appears to him. And I says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. You open up your mouth and you talk about me. For I have many people in this place that need to hear the gospel. So when we're going through times where we are afraid, we need to know it's not of the Lord. He hasn't given us the, the spirit of fear. And we need to claim him at his promises. Guys, this is gospel-centered courage. Gospel-centered courage claims the Lord at his promises. Don't just, it's not just don't be afraid. It's like I've made promises of what I'm going to do here. And so when we're told to leave this place and you walk out those doors and there's a mission statement up above those doors that we are here to go out and make disciples and proclaim the gospel. We know that that is a biblical mission that's been given to us. So when you go out those doors and you're with your coworker and your family and your friends and it's time to open up your mouth, don't be afraid. When it's time to use your gifts and fulfill your ministry and be an evangelist, you need to say, you know what? The Lord said he's going to save the world through the preaching of the gospel through dorks like me. And so I'm taking you at your promise, Lord. And here it goes. Has anyone ever told you about the love of Jesus? You know, that sounds so dorky. But he said he's going to do something. We trust him. We trust that we've not been given the spirit of bondage again to, to fear, but that we're the sons of the Lord and we've been adopted by him. Hebrews tells us that he's released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Are you someone who's afraid of death? You're afraid of death. You're afraid of dying. You don't want to be there when it happens. Are you scared of death? Apply the gospel to your life. He's released you. You don't need to be in bondage anymore. When you're in Christ Jesus, death is just falling asleep. That's how the scripture likens it to. It's falling asleep. And you wake up in eternal life. There's freedom of fear. 1 John 4.18 tells us that there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So what 1 John is telling us is when you're abiding in Jesus, you are abiding in the love of God. He takes those fears. He's working trust through us because we're abiding in the presence of the Lord. But when we're away from that presence, there's torment. We're not abiding in love. 
We haven't been casting out fear. And so the gifts of the Lord are not in the negative fear and cowardice, but they're in the positive. He's given us the spirit of power. He's given us power, dynamite power. In Acts chapter 1, 8, it says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. And you will be brave enough to go be martyrs for me here in Prineville, here in Crook County, here in Oregon, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And uh, Oswald Chambers once wrote, all through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebody's only when they renounced their dependence on their natural abilities and resources. The Lord loves to give the gift of power to those who will confess, I've got no power. He loves to, to bless the Davids and the Gideons and the Moseses because they're the ones that are like, I got nothing. Either I have no power in and of myself over this giant, over the Midianites. I can't talk. How am I supposed to talk to Pharaoh? I just got a stuttering tongue. And the Lord says, exactly. I get more glory when you renounce your adequacies and you confess mine. And so come to that place every morning where you get on your knees, because when you get on your knees, you are lowering yourself and you are lifting him up and you confess on your knees. I got nothing. I'm going into this job. I'm going into my family life. I'm going into this community and I'm, I don't even know what to say. I'm not educated. I'm not a Bible scholar. I mean, these people are mean to me. They pick on me. I don't even, I'm just, I'm scared. But Lord, right now I tap into your power. Reading, of course, my book on C.T. Studd recently, a missionary biography. You're going to be hearing about him for a while. I'm trying to hurry up and finish it so you don't have to hear about him anymore. But as I'm reading it, you keep hearing about it. C.T. Studd, an incredible missionary pioneer to China and then to the Congo. Great book. He just wrote this, or he didn't just write it, I just read it. He said, for this purpose, we have, uh, by the way, this is a letter that he wrote as he sent out the first native tribal uh, missionaries out from the village. So he walked in there. They were working among the cannibals. Cannibals are getting saved. They're getting discipled, and now they're going out as missionaries. And he writes this as he's sending them out. He says, for this purpose, we have banded ourselves together under the name of Christ's etc.'s. And invite others of God's people to join us in this glorious empire. We are merely Christ's nobodies. Otherwise, Christ's etc. Oh, who are you? You must be this really big name, like preacher guy, always on TV, always on YouTube. You, you know, uh, like, I'm just like the comma. You know, I'm like a dot, dot, dot. I'm an etc. I'm really not even worth talking about, so just throw the word etc. in there. We are Christ's etc. And that's who the Lord likes to use. So he hasn't given us fear, but he's given the etcetras, the nobodies, the powerless power. It's a gift. Power and of love. Just hearing today on our drive, I can't remember the man's name, 
but he was saying that uh, preachers bear the awesome responsibility of convincing men of the vast love of Christ. The love of Christ. You are loved. He loved you so much he's died for you. Greater love has no man than this, that he would die for his friends. In this we know love because Christ died for us. You are loved, and he has given you that love. And as he gives it in, you go pour it out. He's given you power, and now as you go out, you don't look at people anymore according to the flesh. Oh, you're a bum. Oh, you're a hobo. Oh, you're so rich. I can never talk to you. You don't look at any of this stuff. You don't look at status, at wealth. At what you do is you, as 1 Corinthians tells us, you now see souls. You see these men that God have created that are not temporary. They are eternal. And he loves them and you love them. And so as you go out, you go out with not fear, but of power and love for them and of a sound mind. A sound mind. This is a gift for you, Christian. Sound mind. It speaks of level-headed self-control. In fact, most translations say self-control. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Controlling yourself. You guys remember the demoniac who... Uh, you know, he was by the Sea of Galilee, and he lived up in the tombs of Genezaret. And as he was up in those tombs, he would wail and scream all night long, and he terrified everybody. They tried to chain him up, and he'd just break the chains. He had the legion of demons in him. He'd try to, you know, he'd, uh, people couldn't pass through on the trail there. He'd scare them off. And when Jesus came to them, the whole encounter happened where Jesus ended up casting the demons into the swine, and the swine ran off into the, the Sea of Galilee. You guys remember the story. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But what I love about that story is when all of the villagers who'd been terrified by this man for so long come and see what had happened, it says that there he was, seated and clothed. That was a new addition. <laughs> had clothes on. So seated and clothed and in a sound mind. That's quite the contrast from what he was. He had no control. He was the howler, screamer, moaner, groaner, throwing himself into the fire, breaking the chains. Nobody could control him, let alone himself. But when Jesus Christ comes on the scene with his love and his power that he gives to us, he brings with it soundness of mind and self-control. Where there's not self-control, it's just a good time to reflect before the Lord on if you are a born-again Christian. Because that is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Doesn't mean we're perfect right out of the gate. But He desires to work that in us. So cry out for that. The Spirit gives us self-control. It's been called the sanity of saintliness. And so since he is the spirit of power, we can be confident that he's going to give us power to work out our ministry. Every one of you are ministers. Did you know that? If you're born again Christian, I'm not the only minister in this place. Johnny and Aaron, not the only ministers in this place. 
If you are a born-again Christian here, you are a minister, and our job as pastors is to equip you for that work. So, so cool to see, like, Angela and Scott wanting to do this discipleship ministry, and, and how can we, like, just best speak the gospel at the grocery store? Let's dive in, and I want to facilitate this and help with this. And that is awesome. Everybody should be involved in some capacity in the ministry of this church. And you can do it with power and the enablement that he provides. Since he's the spirit of love, we use God's authority and his power in a loving way. And since he's the spirit of self-control, we have restraint over our flesh. And so that goes into verse 8. Verse 8 starts with the word, therefore. Okay? Or maybe your version says, so, so. Okay, so. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind and self-control. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Shame. Embarrassment. Think of those times in your life where you felt it, sometimes at yourself, (laughs) We were at a wedding, and I was singing and dancing with Tatum, and she was giving us looks, and everyone was laughing because it was obvious that my two-year-old was ashamed of her dad. And someone said, that is like the look of shame that she just gave. And I'm like, well, that is embarrassing. You know, you got nothing if you can't impress your two-year-old, you know. And, uh, and, and yet we are that way about the story of Jesus. We can be embarrassed of the story of of Jesus and the plea throughout verses 8 and 9 here are hey drop the shame drop the embarrassment do not be ashamed and Jesus would say in Mark chapter 8 whoever is ashamed of me and my words and it's not even like you're around a bunch of cool people it says you're in the midst of an adulterous and sinful generation you're embarrassed in front of the pagans Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So shame. He wants to call us out of that. He hasn't given us the spirit of of fear. He wants to give us the spirit of courage and power and, and that we would go forth with pride in the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, this is classic. Your mind probably went there when you heard about shame, when we just started reading that. Because in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So one reason you might be ashamed of the gospel is because you don't know what the gospel is. If you were asked, what is the gospel? You pretty much got nothing. You think it's a a music genre on iTunes or something like that. It's, It's more than that by far. The gospel is the good news of the story of God redeeming sinners by the death of himself bringing glory to himself in the whole process. 
It's the greatest adventure, action, rescue story that there's ever been. And may I throw romance in there as well. If you're ashamed, you probably don't really know what it is because it's the best story that's ever been told. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel itself, just telling the story, this is what's incredible. It's not up to you to make somebody saved. That's not your job. That's not your role. Your job is to tell them how and to reason with them about sin and righteousness and the judgment that's to come. And so it's, it's not your job to save the person. It's your job to just get the message out there. Just tell them the story of God's love and his grace and his mercy and his pursuit of mankind and his sacrificial death and the work that he's done. And that story is, is what is the power that brings salvation. In that story, the righteousness of God is revealed. The, the good and right way of God is revealed when you tell that story. So we don't need to be ashamed of it. We don't need to be embarrassed of it. However, when we tell it, and this is where shame can kind of reach a, a pendulum of, of fear. Because it says, then you need to share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, you're telling people the gospel, right? And if you're telling people about the gospel, what comes from that is some form of suffering. Every Christian must be ready and willing, if necessary, to be a fool for Christ's sake. To just be okay with being an embarrassment to the world. And with that, to even suffering. To suffer, rather. The RSV version says, take your share of suffering. So Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, it really isn't applicable to you. Except that we want you to be a Christian. Jesus wants you to be a Christian. So come on, be a Christian, okay? Come to Jesus, be saved, be born again. Have your life changed. Have your sins washed away. And then, cherry on top, you get to suffer with us. Right? Sounds amazing. There's a sign-up sheet up here. Um, where can I sign up for such a great... All right. Hey, it's awesome. Because when you are being reviled and persecuted, it means you're doing something right. It means the darkness and wickedness. Ha ha. It's noted you. There's something going on in that gal that was never going on in that gal before, but we're coming after her. It means you're doing something right. I remember watching NASCAR back in the day, way back in the day. Like, no, I still like it. I just don't have cable anymore. But I remember Jeff Gordon being, you know, slandered on TV, and they were like, so what do you say about everyone slandering you? You know, good old Jeff, you know, 24 car, Rainbow Warriors. That means something different to the DuPont team, but... So as, as he has the microphone, he goes, you know what? It's just good that people are talking about me. Bad or good, it's all good press. All right? And it's the same for the Christian. You get in bad press, it means that something good is finally happening in your life. Suffer with the suffering gospel. The gospel is a suffering message. 
And so we're told to not be embarrassed of it, but to suffer with it. How do we do that, Rory? Because I'm chicken little. It tells us how right here. According to the power of God at the end of verse 8. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. That's the Holy Spirit in the Christian. You're given a spirit of power that will help you not be embarrassed, but to suffer. To suffer according to the power of God. Verse 9, this God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. What's with the suffering? I mean, this seems like a pretty good message, doesn't it? God has saved us and called us, and he had a great plan about it. Why, is, why are we suffering then because of this? Because in this story, you're telling somebody you needed to be saved. You needed to be rescued. I never needed to be rescued. I'm a strong man. I had it in control. You know, I love war, military history, and when the 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment was trapped in Bastogne in the Battle of the Bulge up there in Foy and in Belgium in the snow, they were freezing, they were there for months, and they were just, man, they they were holding their own. They were totally convinced, like, we don't need any help. And Patton comes through with his tank corps, and in Patton's mind, he rescued the airborne soldiers there uh, that had been, you know, surrounded, which is where they like to be, he, he rescued them. And the airborne, who's so pride, they got the screaming eagle on the shoulder, they say, we didn't need to be rescued. And to this day, the airborne's like, we don't need help. We never needed help. We had it under control. We got pride in our unit. We got pride in who we are. And that's why the gospel is such an offense What do you mean I need to be saved? Well, here's what happened. You rebelled against a perfect, spotless, blameless, just, right God of the universe. You rebelled against him. You sinned against him. And with that, you plunged the whole world into torment and anguish and death. Okay, so... Good job on that. So pat yourself on the back, Mr. Pridey Pants, okay? And then with that, you were destined to hell for all eternity, and the wrath of God was upon you. But in the midst of it all, while you were still a sinner who can never be good enough in your own strength, God sent his son Jesus, who lived the perfect life and died a, set, uh, died a death in your place so that you wouldn't have to die. And if you just turn to him and say, Thank you. Let that death be applied to my life because I need forgiveness for my rebellion and wickedness. Then boom, you're made whiter than snow. Your your garment of death and filth is taken off of you. You're given new white robes of righteousness and the hope of heaven. And you're given power to live. And that is an offense to this world. That's an offense to every culture that's ever been. But can you see how it would be an offense to America? I mean, we are self-made men and women. We are strong. We are resilient. We are, have a work ethic. 
We make it on our own. We don't need no help from anybody. And yet the gospel tells us you do. You'll never make it on your own. Your best day is like a filthy rag before God. So hear his message of hope and receive clean robes of righteousness. But because we're preaching this message, the world hates it. And you will suffer shame because of it. Don't raise your hand. This is what's called a rhetorical question. But when was the last time you suffered reproach for the sake of the gospel? Ever? Ever? And I'm, man, no condemnation here. It doesn't happen that often for me. I'm reminded of a time when we went and uh, labored for a trailer park here in town. And we just laid down our lives and we were cleaning up stuff and we were uh, plowing snow. And we were asked to come and share about our ministry to all of the inhabitants of this trailer park. So they had a special meeting and we brought flyers about our church. And they gave us a platform in front of the trailer park, all the inhabitants. And we just very simply shared of the love of Jesus. And we left and we're like, well, that was just a neat experience, don't you think? And I had a note on my door and a voicemail and a visit in my office from the man who invited me to this place. And he was livid that I said the name Jesus livid that the trailer the minute i walked out the door the inhabitants of the trailer park were furious and demanded an apology from me and so i wrote an apology <laughs> i didn't apologize for the gospel though i told them more about the hope of the gospel in my letter are you ashamed of the gospel are you ready for the reproach? It's going to happen. Just open up your mouth. But the beauty is that even in the midst of the reproach, in fact, the more reproach and suffering it is, the more people come to Jesus. The blood that is shed for the story of the gospel is seed for the gospel to go forth. Are you ready for your blood to be shed? Chances are in the life that we live right now, it's not probably going to be shed anytime soon. But are you ready for the demand of the apology? Are you ready for the angry looks? Are you ready for the guffaws? Or are you ashamed? I'll be honest with you. There's times that I feel, I don't know what, fear, shame. In fact, recently, Johnny and I went down to the fairgrounds during the fair, and we just went solely with the purpose to go tell people about Jesus. And we took our sons with us, and we went out, and, and we met in the parking lot at the fairgrounds, and we prayed. And I'll be honest with you. I was afraid. And I was a little bit ashamed. I wasn't ashamed, actually, of the testimony of the Lord, as verse 8 says, because I love the story of the Lord. I was a little more ashamed of my method. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go up into this concert hall and just start, like, interrupting people. And, you know, and I, that's okay. Like, maybe my, the method might not be the great thing. But going is the great thing. Are you ashamed of going? Are you afraid? Are you ashamed of the testimony of our Lord? And then Paul would even say, are, are you ashamed of me, his servant? Are you ashamed of the, the ministers that the Lord's put around? It's, it's okay, be ashamed of. There's plenty of things to be ashamed about in Rory Rogers, okay? 
But don't be ashamed of those that are going and they're suffering for the cause of the gospel. The gospel that tells us that we've been saved, verse 9. That speaks of rescued, to be healed. What a beautiful thing. He's called us with a, to a holy calling. He's called you to a holy life. You know, many Christians, and I should say those who call themselves Christians, they like the idea of a God who's all about pampering them. But this whole idea of a God who calls us to a holy life, a life of purity, they're not really down with that. And you can guarantee those are the people that are not going to be down with suffering for Jesus. And I just spent a weekend with people who probably have Bibles on a shelf somewhere at home on their bookshelf and would probably say, I am an American, therefore I'm a Christian, would probably say they are Christians. And yet, in spite of pleading and tears and examples of the destruction of a practice of sin in their life, they refuse to repent of sexual immorality, of idolatry, of filthiness of the flesh. Just refuse to. And yet, we're just all Christians. The Lord calls us. When he saves us, he saves us to a holy calling. He saves us to say goodbye to sin, to repent of sin, and to turn and live a life of rightness. As we have the worship team come back up, we're going to close with this point. That this saving and calling on our lives, look at verse 9, it's not according to our works. It's not according to our works. You may be in this room today, and your understanding and how you, your belief is that, yeah, there's a God, and here's how this God operates. If he's really a good God like everybody says he is, then this good God will look on me and all of my good deeds that I've done and he is going to bless me because of my good deeds. And so on that day when I die, he's going to see my good deeds and he's going to let me in. And many people with that idea, they say, you know what, this is what causes even more of a labor for them. They say, this God will look at me and I just hope that by the end of my life, my good deeds will outweigh my bad. Reading the biography of um, General Hal Moore, who's the, the, the man in We Were Soldiers that Mel Gibson played, if you've seen that movie. Uh, General Hal Moore of the Vietnam War, reading his biography, he says, you know, my belief is that, just, that there's a God, he's a good God. By the end of my life, I, just, I hope that the tally's been made and the scales are balanced and that there's just even one more good deed than bad that'll get me into heaven. That is a hopeless hope. It's no hope. The hope of the story of the Bible is that you can be saved, rescued, led into heaven, and not only that, but given blessings 
an inheritance, a calling on your life, gifts, a mission, a status. Just The Lord doesn't just take us back to zero. Like He gives us righteousness because of Jesus. He saves us and he calls us to a holy calling. And all of that is not by your works. By the deeds of the law, by the works of good works, no flesh will be justified in the sight of God. One of the famous verses from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 is that it's by grace that we are saved. Not of works. Rather it says, by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. Lest anyone should boast before God. You stand before God and just pat yourself on the back and tell God how good you are. God who knows all things about your life. You're just going to go ahead and boast and brag about how just what a great little boy scout you are. He's like, did I mention I've seen everything? Did I mention I know about the sins that you don't even know you did? Oh yeah, you might know some of the ones you've committed. I know the ones that even you've omitted. I know about the things that I've called you to do that you just never did do. And the book of Romans tells us that as that guy is there bragging before God, and then I did this, and then I went there, and then I did this, and I'm just such a good little, it says that guy's mouth will be stopped, and he will be found to be a liar. I hope today as we come to this last song, that the story of the gospel, you'll find that it's a beautiful one because it's one of grace. It's, it's a story of gift giving. Where God gave us the gift of salvation through the incredible work of Jesus on the cross. And the rest of that verse says, this all was part of God's plan before time even began. It's eternal. God had a plan to save you before the foundations of the world. My family always says, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God had a plan to save you and to call you to a holy calling. You know what that means? If that happened before your life, it was before you could ever work or not work. The Bible tells us it was all according to the purpose of his grace. And that brings us so much comfort and humility. It gives us humility because we know we could never earn it. God had it planned in his grace. And it gives us comfort because we know we can never lose it. Because of God and his grace. And so as we close today. There's a lot there. This is so rich. Why don't we stand together and we'll pray together. We pray now, Lord, for the Holy Spirit upon us. Afresh today, Lord, the Spirit 
that is not of fear, but we pray for courage, for bravery, for power. As that flame has been fanned, that it would combust within us the power to be brave warriors of Jesus, to open up our mouths about the gospel. And maybe now, just, you know, my eyes are even closed, but maybe just as the eyes are closed in this room, you would just lift your hand up if, if you would even just confess to the Lord, Lord, I've been ashamed of the gospel. I've been ashamed of you. I've not opened up my mouth. You know, this is just a time between you and the Lord. It's just a way to just say, Lord, here I am. I have been ashamed. I'm scared, Lord. Even the persecution that I could face here in Prineville, it's just, oh, I hate awkward situations. I hate the look, the guffaw, the, I hate the, the rejection. I fear men more than I fear God. And I've been ashamed of the story of the gospel. But Lord, I pray as I lift my hand up right now, you would take fear out of me and you would just help me to trust in the promise that I now have a spirit of power. Maybe just you would lift your hand if, if you just know too you've been afraid of suffering for the gospel. You would just lift your hand and say, Lord, I've been afraid of suffering. I love my comfortable life. I love my reputation among my peers and in the community. I remember once we were going to the horse races to witness Jesus. I just speak to you guys now. We were going to the horse races to witness Jesus. And one man in the group said, I cannot go. I'm too well known in this community. I can't go. It'll ruin my reputation. And just now, maybe that's similar. You just have that same thing. You just say, Lord, I, that's me. I would say, I can't go. I can't open up my mouth. It'll ruin. It's going to make, it'll ruin my reputation with my neighbor, with my coworker, with my family. And the Lord would say, do not be ashamed of my story, nor of those who also preach the gospel. And so, Lord, we lift our hands up and say, just take away fear. Take away cowardice. Take away fear of suffering. We have, as we studied just the different nations, we know that they are regularly persecuted, regularly thrown into prison, regularly killed. Watch their family members die. Watch their sons and daughters die. Think of Asia Bibi, who's been on trial for years because she shared the gospel with someone she was um, gardening with. And she's been on the death, uh, the, the death block or death row for years. Lord, just, Lord, let us join the ranks of the Asia Bibis in this world to open our mouths. And Lord, even as last week you gave us the vision of a church that was like a bouncy house, just busting at the seams, just bulging out, inflated. Lord, that we would just be inflated with new believers as we go out from this place and share the gospel. We pray afresh today, fire fall down, now that we know what that means, Lord. We pray fire fall down and bring courage and power and boldness so we can tell the world about you. Let's close with this last song together with this prayer on our heart.
jars of As we sing of amazing grace, it's such a famous uh, phrase that you probably don't even really think about what it means, except that today we just heard the message of amazing grace, that we've been saved and called with a holy calling, not by our own works and earning 
but by his purpose of grace that was in Christ Jesus before the world were even formed. And just as we just relish grace right now, as we just savor that amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Let's just close again. And Johnny, will you sing that second verse about I will be your vessel for this world to see your light in me. And, you know, we just, we were closing with just the reflection of grace and just the desire for uh, courage and boldness and even pride in the gospel. And let's let that be our prayer as we go. In light of grace, amazing grace, let's be his vessels and let's just let that be our earnest, heartfelt prayer as we leave this place today. jars of clay take this vessel I'll be your vessel the world to see your life in let's sing that again one more time take our failure you take our Christ, etc. In jars of clay. Take this heart, Lord. I'll be your vessel, your world to see, your life in me. That saved a wretch like me. Whoa, I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Lord, we pray that even next week, Lord, these seats would be filled with men and women who've been told the story of the gospel by this family and those that have responded to the gospel to be saved by your grace, Lord. Lord, that even in one week, Lord, you would add to this church daily those who are being saved. Lord, use the most stammering, stuttering tongue that feels like the biggest blubbering idiot. Lord, to bring that beautiful treasure of a soul into your kingdom. Lord, from the, the young middle schoolers who are in with us today, that they would be brave. I think of soccer season starting up this week and practices happening and coaches just from our church that are out just rubbing shoulders with people and just intentional about telling people about you. 
think of school starting up soon and hunting season and going out with friends to to bag that trophy animal, Lord, but that, Lord, there'd be bigger trophies in mind. That hunting partner, that cousin, that brother, that friend. Lord, there'd be salvation and camo this year. Do a great work of revival in our community and use Calvary Chapel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.